Ta-da. Welcome to the NYC Libertarians podcast. I'm Ilya. And I am Devin. And here we discuss uh, New York City, liberty, the interaction of the two, and the lack thereof. A lot of lack of thereof. And welcome to our New Year's episode. Yep. It is December, excuse me, December 30th. Yep. And when we record. Right. When we record. 2019. 2019. 2020's just... We're just, on the eve of 2020. It's coming. Cue all the vision puns. And then and then I forget, Is does that mean when 2020 happens, does that mean it's the, it's technically the second decade, or is it one, do we need one more? It's the, we're starting in the third decade. Right, the third decade. It starts on 2020. Yeah, because I know in Russian we do that a lot. Okay, cool. Well, great. For people who like to keep track and are sentimental about time and intervals and frequencies, this is a big moment. Uh, for me, I think we're all going to look down on 2020 and say, we're in the future. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I felt about 2019. Particularly because Blade Runner was 2019, right? Right, which is a little disappointing. I mean, Blade Runner was great. I love Blade Runner. Anyway, let's stop boring <laughs> people with our with this nonsense. If I recall, you have a... a pretty fantastic strategy for this episode yeah so my theme uh coming from uh a jewish podcaster uh is uh new york city libertarian past nyc libertarian present and nyc libertarian future how's that jewish uh it's not because it's from uh christmas story Uh, oh oh, i got you i got you right it's oppositional oh i like it okay yeah that (laughs) makes a lot of sense now (laughs) Okay, well, this is a great strategy. Um, now that you've laid out the outline, should we should we proceed? Sure. Uh, so my idea for uh, NYC Libertarian Past is that we could discuss maybe one thing each about uh, notable happenings of the last year and uh-huh. then uh, notable happenings of the last uh, decade. Poof. Sure. I mean, I don't know about, if I recall... I don't think either of us were formally involved in the Libertarian Party before 2016, right? This was, we were, we're both kind of Gary Johnson, Gary Johnson generation people, although I, I was interested in Ron Paul, but people often forget Ron Paul, not a Libertarian, not a Libertarian Party Libertarian, particularly in 2008 and, and, to, and, and 2012 when he was running on the Republican ticket. So it actually, it took till Gary Johnson to get me even thinking that the Libertarian Party could be a facilitator for the type of political change I wanted to see happen. Yeah, I mean, I did do some digging on YouTube, uh, and uh, there is an account with a bunch of, like, Manhattan LP uh, things uh, that they were doing uh, early in the decade, uh, and it is quite quaint, uh, and is definitely not my idea of what we should be doing. (laughs) Um, I mean, the party in the past. Have we ever gone through initial impressions of the libertarian party when we got involved uh i don't know but, <laughs> but this one i mean frankly when we got involved it was like nothing was happening i mean but, nothing but, is nothing's tough but it was 
when we got when I and, and and we shouldn't say we like this like we like came together right like we met we met at one of these at one of these meetings I think in Manhattan right? yeah yeah uh, I mean my story of after after the Gary Johnson campaign you know collapsed under the Aleppo the weight of Aleppo and Syria somehow uh, you know I thought to myself. I was I was excited about Gary. I thought he could I thought he could get some serious traction. He actually did get like decent traction. I mean, considering, but you know, I thought, who am I to to insult Gary or to or insult the party when I've never I don't even know what the Libertarian Party is. I've never showed up to an, a a meeting. I didn't know anything about it. And so yeah, the first meeting I showed up to was at a diner in um, in Brooklyn to the Brooklyn LP meeting, and it was you know it was two guys. It was, two or three guys, you know, over the age of 60 who are, you know, are still involved in the LP and bless them for keeping the, the chapter going. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was after seeing that, I was like, oh man, I mean, in a city, Brooklyn's 2.2 million people, you know, you've got, you're basically in a situation where they were averaging about one in a million people showing up to that monthly meeting. And this is the third biggest political party in the country in an era when the first two political parties excuse me, are uh, at their least popular. So I thought that was, that was strange. And it was, it was strange enough where I thought that I, I, I felt uh, the need to get involved. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience. Uh, when I came in, it was, it was the Gary Johnson uh, period. Uh, and there was, they were doing petitioning. So I got, I kind of jumped into that a bit. Um, and which is very hard for me. Because I'm not, I don't like petition. I don't like right. uh, foisting myself upon people. But here I am. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, inconvenient preference to have. Uh, the yeah, and I was not really uh, politically, you know, enthusiastic. I would say at all. I was definitely very aware and very uh, knowledgeable, but I was kind of a mild republican apologist i didn't really know where to lie but i was the contrarian in me put me in a in the republican camp and uh the yeah and i was just basically apologizing for uh well there's some good ideas and you should you should think about those more Mm. uh and then when when it was a choice between cruz and trump uh i went to my first libertarian party Mm -hmm. meeting uh the yeah, I came from a very different. You know, I'd I'd been involved in Occupy Wall Street and uh, kind of like the lifestyle anarchist universe for a few years at that point, which you know I wasn't like deeply involved in, but I certainly you know had a a had and have like a what I would consider a working understanding of anarchism and as a political philosophy that's millennial, you know, that's old. That's like a that's like a pretty common not scary political tradition that's been going on for you know you might, might maybe not under the name anarchism but since the dawn of political systems uh, well i knew i knew slightly about um like radical leftist uh circles yeah. because in college I, a lot of my friends ended up being big leaders here in, in the democratic socialist america mm. um but yeah so i'm aware of those and i remember when when uh, occupy started i was actually at zuccotti park like very early on before anyone really noticed and those, those are the best days <laughs> and uh i remember i was there 
like touring around with my parents and I had uh, I was in law school and I had my big torts book with me I think I think it was torts and and th- this guy at Occupy was like yeah you're, you're way ahead because you're like learning the the structure <laughs> you're like yeah actually that's exactly that's been that's that's the idea um yeah i'd love to do i'd love to one day spend an extensive amount of time talking about occupy stuff because lord knows like for a year or two during and after that was all me and my little like posse of occupy friends talked about well i went through i mean it, it ran you know it was a big big piece of my social life for yeah, I, like, I have like a good friend who, who who traveled the scene. He like he was in Boston at the time. He went to Boston Occupy, and then he would visit New York and stay in, at Zuccotti Park. Right, right. Um, I'm sure, we know some of the some some of those people. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I still see those people. I still run into some of the some of the kind of the you know activist homeless types, like you know, on the street still in the city, and it's amazing. I mean, you really one of the things that Occupy really uh, taught me was about like homelessness. I mean it was it was very much it very much went was elitist activist types and like woke culture. Well that was the that meeting, was the famous daily show. Right. Meeting uh treatment of, right, meeting homelessness which, which which is which was if in the anarchist world, you know, mutual aid is like a very strong concept and like what uh Kropotkin. Yeah, and 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 that that as as like the revolutionary force, uh, seem like looking back at Occupy Wall Street was a hundred percent an accurate, accurate statement because what Bloomberg at the time, who was the mayor, did and like how the media discredited Occupy Wall Street and like occupies around the country, was basically saying that we couldn't deliver the social services necessary to keep our camps up to snuff. And it was true. Like we actually just at the most basic level did not have, we had a certain level of operational competency, but we didn't have enough to actually deliver a better social service experience, like significantly better than what the institutions were delivering. And had we been able to do that, I think the history of the whole enterprise would have been quite different. Um, and then we actually got an opportunity to do that with Occupy Sandy, which I was, I was probably even more involved than I, I would have. Oh, nice. I was more involved in than Occupy Wall Street where we actually had built up a, that capability right, right. a bit and then it was uh, it was an interesting time and you know I've, I've that's kind of the one big volunteering thing I did I remember that was after Sandy I uh, I w- I did a whole like so the the project I worked on was this this woman's house where the basement had a uh, steel or like aluminum uh, ceiling and so everything in the rafters above that ceiling, complete mold. Yeah, and it's a it's a mold event. Was this Rockaways or? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we so I decked out in TVAC and, mm-hmm. and chemical mask and everything, and to, to, with a toothbrush we we like had you worked how did you, off the mold. Had you, did you do that not through Occupy Sandy? Did you? Mm, I don't think. So. I mean, I, it was a part of program. I don't quite. Was remember. it run by a nonprofit? that was like formal it was it was through uh an organization that was kind of based in this church over there yeah, we had some churches you, you would have known if it was occupy i mean the thing is, is it was all <laughs> occupy sandy became a, a a network umbrella brand for just kind of unaffiliated volunteers okay. accessing grassroots stuff it was interesting you know the the uh 
after that, I got really into uh, disaster management stuff, and I built a bit of a career around it. And I still do kind of like IT, like I still do do work in that field. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of literature, a lot of FEMA stuff, like a lot of like academic emergency management disaster response stuff. Uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street is, is big chapters. In the, or are, so what, is big are you choosing that. Occupy as that your... was my? I think that was my past. That was my. That past. was your decade past. Decade past the the anarcho libertarian. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm gonna mutual aid part of Occupy was uh, my my probably one of my preferred. And because and we already talked about it, but I I was gonna say. But, Probably the Gary Johnson campaign was my, was my decade past, uh, but uh, but I just I did want to mention that the, the YouTube stuff I found back in the day, eh. <laughs> oh from uh, from, from it's the like party? it's like truther yeah but they had some interesting stuff though like actually there there was a great video I saw I, I saw very few but it was on the Manhattan website around the Brooklyn DA mm. I don't know if you ever saw mm. about Heinz and like the corruption of Heinz and it looked to me. Like oh yeah, I the, were I worked a summer in that DA's office. Crazy stuff, right? And it looked to me like the LP, and I think this is a great idea for the LP, was a place where some like insiders came to like they came on the show and like talked about how Hines was you know basically like stealing people's property through these surrogate courts and like doing all of, like really a tremendous amount of very I mean very nefarious stuff was described in this podcast, and I thought that was a cool thing, and that hard hard fire. I guess was their the name of the show, yeah. and they still kind of do it. Some people still kind of do it. Um, Cameron Cameron uh, Cameron Weber still does. Uh, anyway, but right. well, it, 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 it was it had a they had an activist bent going on. I wouldn't say they were doing like kind of conventional party. Well, party. they were they had stuff going on. Yeah, they had stuff going which on, is, which it, is which is which is impressive. Which is impressive. It wasn't party building in the sense of kind of the what. I think people consider the lefty organizing approach of party building, which seems to be like a good idea around trying to elevate people into leadership, cultivating, cultivating leaders, trying to organize the type of events that bring people out, getting their contact information, keeping it sticky and, and, and growing things that way. Um, yeah, it was a little more ad hoc, a little less. I think they had less of a feeling of context for how it all builds together. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think they they saw themselves less as a political operation. Yeah, and more as kind of an activist group. Yeah. Um, all right. So twenty nineteen, what you got? Well, I mean, I mean, I've ran for office now twice. Which, if you had told me that in twenty sixteen, when I first showed up at a libertarian meeting, I would not have believed you. Um, but I did. I did that twice. And I've also, you know, been chairing the Brooklyn Libertarian Party, and we're at, you know, we were at two point three people. A, a meeting when I showed up and now we're doing 12 to 15 like pretty pretty easily um, and so you know it's a 3x I got 3x difference in my campaign from 2017 to to 2019 just two public advocate races that I did you know I, I had 0.7 the first time and then two um, you know over two percent under 0.7 the first time over two percent the second uh and I'd say that that three X. I feel like three X is kind of that to me feels also you know the Brooklyn party is more than three X, but like three X is kind of where I th I feel like that's kind of the rate of growth that we've had. And you know if we can sustain a rate of growth like that in ten years, we're going to be not not tiny. But yeah, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think I think uh, twenty nineteen has been a, like much very much a consolidation year for us, uh, trying to build. Um, and build capabilities uh, 
not hopefully uh, translates into some some minor victories, some yeah, and, some membership. You no, know, uh, and Larry Larry delivered in 2018 like the golden ticket of ballot access, which we may or may not be able to to actually uh, utilize thanks to changes in New York State law, which allegedly have nothing to do with the Libertarian Party, but um. But, you know, I think that also, that's brought the state together. That's made people a lot more serious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've, we've kind of tasted some modicum of, of success now. And so going back is not, hopefully not an option. Yeah. Uh, so so you had the campaigns. I had the campaigns, which I had and... a fantastic time doing. Highly recommend everyone run for office because it's so much fun. By the way, January, uh, was it 14th? 14th? Or is it 12th? Uh, I think it's 14th. I always can't remember, though, exactly. But basically, there's going to be a train. So January 14th uh, at 7 o'clock in the Ukrainian East Village restaurant uh, in Manhattan. Uh, We're going to have an event called Run With LP or Run With Us. Run With Us. (laughs) Um, Where we will basically go through all the basic requirements and expectations uh, as a candidate. Uh, We'll talk about ballot access. We'll talk about campaign finance. Uh, and it'll just be a crash course to show one that we're there for you and two that you can do this uh and you know it doesn't have to be we don't have to do huge campaigns it would be great if you do a huge campaign there's a lot of opportunities and 2020 is really like a we have automatic ballot access maybe for the last time and uh (laughs) it's (laughs) it's really a uh you can't you don't lose anything yeah, depending on your personal circumstances. Uh, <laughs> so you can't tell us we're not honest over here. Um, so, but I welcome anyone to come. Uh, anyone who's a candidate, who's interested in working for a candidate, uh, or who's just legitimately curious. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, please come. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through it all. Uh, it'll be a good time. Devin will unfortunately be absent, out of town, but I'll be there. I don't know. Maybe you can Skype in. I could Skype. I could Google uh, Hangout. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and nyclibertarians.org, you can see find more information as well as on the Manhattan site, yep. manhattanlp.org, et cetera. All right, so that's... So that's the past. Was that the past? That's, yeah, right. and we, we have already kind of transitioned to the present. Right, now we're in the present, which is lovely. That's why they call it the present, because <laughs> it is a gift. Wow. Yeah. I think I read that in a public school assembly hall. Some uh, new age person told that to me, and it made me think that they were, they they were really onto something. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what do we want to know about the present? Uh, well, one, I'll just give a because we already mentioned it. I'll just give a brief update um, about our ballot access situation. Uh, in which case, in case you didn't hear our last episode, uh, and maybe the prior episode. Uh, so there was a campaign finance commission that established a at the state level at the state, state level uh, because Cuomo and the legislature couldn't agree on how to create a campaign finance program, uh, which means uh, you know using public funds to fund campaign people's campaigns. So they couldn't agree on that, so they created a commission called the Public Finance Commission um, that whatever they come up with is going to become law unless the state legislature overrules it. And what they came up with is a pretty weak sauce public financing regime. And, 
and so for whoever's into that we're not into that i'm not advocating for that uh <laughs> but uh no, as I part like of the vouchers uh, i don't think you like the vouchers uh, either no um, the public demands something apparently okay um but the the uh one of the things that they did was that they under this bs excuse that you need to save money to safeguard the public finance system we need to be more strict on qualifications for third parties so what they did was they raised the voter threshold from uh, 50,000 uh, votes at a gubernatorial election to 130,000 votes uh, at a gubernatorial election or 2%, whichever is higher. Uh, and if you don't become a, a party through there, you also generally have to petition to get your candidate on. And now the petitioning is instead of 15,000 valid signatures, you have to get 45,000 valid signatures. And uh, this requirement, both these requirements apply every two years, not every four years. So it's not just a gubernatorial election. You have to do it also every presidential election. Which is, I mean, it, and the press, and I think probably correctly, says that this is just an attack on working families, which is actually a pretty relatively sizable political block, but they have no Right, it's an candidates. attack. It's an attack on the Working Families Party, but all third parties in New York State are collateral damage. Oh yeah, we're collateral damage for sure. If not if not actually proper damage. I mean, the Republicans are definitely looking at the libertarians and they have to look at the Amash situation and say that if, you know, under a certain set of circumstances that aren't out, completely outlandish, like the Libertarian Party could take a sizable sizable chunk out of the Republican Party if Justin Amash runs for president and, you know, uses some of his charisma and principle to take a lot of 90s you know a lot of people who are moderate republicans out of the republican party yeah or or true conservatives yeah true conservatives of any uh way. because they might prize you know fiscal responsibility i mean they there's a sizable constituency that no yeah. doubt would love to tell the republican party that trump is not acceptable and could not stomach voting for well there's a bunch of there was an article about how a bunch of never trumpers yeah. are uh supporting amash's re-election campaign yeah uh for congress yeah which is going to be it, it i don't know hopefully I mean, hopefully he sees it as you know not great and then decides right. on a presidential run. this is a hill to die for <laughs> or whatever like if, if if amash can 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 usher in the new era of uh u.s politics i think that's yeah. a with like a little bit of uh, strategic defeat. All right. Well, uh, in terms of this topic, uh, one other plug for uh, New York City Libertarian Christmas present is <laughs> um, that we're having the first uh, presidential primary uh, for the Libertarian Party this year. Are we? Uh, so if you, yeah, the state party has decided this. I'm back on the state party, by the way. Okay, um, <laughs> And uh, if you, so if you're interested in helping petition so that we have a, a successful primary, because we want to have, frankly, we want to have two candidates on the ballot so that this is a legitimate primary. Um, so if you want to help us, it's, you know, you're going around getting libertarian signatures. So you, there's no feeling as if you're imposing on anyone because libertarians are begging to be imposed on. Uh, so <laughs> the, uh, so if you want to help get like 40 signatures, uh, in whatever County you live in, please get in touch with, uh, with leadership 
uh, and uh, that would be a great effort. And, and the primary is going to be uh, April 28th, I believe. I This is... Unhappy people are... But the petitioning period is already started, and it goes till early February. So please go as quickly as possible if you hear this right away. Uh, and then the other... What do we else do? Oh, um, the other topic was months, the Muncie stabbing and the various acts of anti-Semitism recently. Right, which I guess seems surprising. Uh, right? Like, where are we in... Is this... Is this really a lot more anti-Semitic attacks? It seems like it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's much higher profile. Uh, Okay, so just for background, I I don't mean to monopolize. um, But just for background, we had a a few weeks ago, we had a couple of black Hebrew Hebrew Israelites uh, who shot up a Jewish uh, kosher supermarket in Jersey City. Is that what that was? They were. I didn't realize they were the Hebrew Israel, the, the yes. black Hebrew Israelite thing. Yes. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought there was. It was that wasn't really made that clear to me via media reports. Okay. Wow. I just remember them from the Jerry Springer show in the '90s when it was like I don't know if you recall if you ever saw these shows, but it was it was you know Jerry got into like a let's have white supremacists on, and then let's have black supremacists on, and then let's bring them together and see what happens. That was a great. That was also sounds thing. great. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, some some black Hebrew Israelites uh, are kind of black supremacists, right? Uh, and is... particularly against Jews because they believe that they are the true Jews, uh, and that the that Jews, commonly known as Jews, are are the fake Jews. Uh, is so, the devil involved in that? I don't know about that. Okay, um, but it's it's a kind of idea that. Uh, like Solomon's tribes are from Africa. Right, right. It's complicated. Uh, but uh, they harbor certain, uh, some of them harbor certain attitudes against Jews. Uh, anyway, so the black Israelites had an attack in Jersey City. Meanwhile, over the past long time, but it's been an issue in the past year, I would say, uh, you have a lot of racial tensions in Crown Heights. Uh, in parts of Brooklyn, uh, where you have African-American communities next to Hasidic communities, and you have random acts of violence, um, generally by African-Americans against Hasidic communities. Uh, so, And that has intensified recently. So oddly, uh, every single day of this past Hanukkah involved an anti-Semitic act. Every day, right? I mean, it, was, except, it seems like a real acceleration. Today. Uh, well, we don't know. It's so the yeah. unless unless it happened, we don't know about it. Um, so like there was a woman who just slapped three Hasidic women outside of a subway stop, just randomly, and said like "f you Jews." And there was a guy who uh, beat up. There was like a twenty year old guy from who was visiting from Florida who just punched out a Hasidic man in the East Thirties huh. in Manhattan, um, and. Uh, unfortunately, um, on uh, Sunday, there was a Hanukkah party in Muncie, New York, which is a suburb that I grew up in, uh, in Rockland County, which is about 20 miles outside the city, uh, or 30 miles outside the city. And, um, you had this African-American who, uh, broke into, tried to break into a synagogue 
and then broke into the rabbi's house next door where he was having a Hanukkah party and he stabbed five people. And then there was a manhunt and he got caught in Harlem. Uh, intense. I mean, yeah. And they discovered, they discovered that he had on his, on his computer, he had Googled, you know, why did Hitler hate the Jews? And like, was kind of into, or was exploring, um, anti-Semitism and Nazism. Uh, it's a strange, it's a strange set of things. You know, the general mainstream media narrative is like, you know, is a white supremacy narrative, right? That like Trump is empowering all of these like white supremacists. And then like reality, I mean, makes that, that's yes, true, maybe, probably, seems like it. But also there's just a lot more hatred and complexity out there uh, than than meets the eye and like the media I, I mean it's a it's a confusing i mean i find it i find it a, like i find it confusing like do you feel like this is a trump is a trump no like, it's zeitgeist? it's not a trump thing it's it's a long time thing. i mean there were the crown heights riots were the right. early well, 90s the crown, riots, the crown heights riots there's were, been uh, there's been unfortunate uh there's been unfortunate strains in the african-american community it's also there's definitely a lot of rhetoric around. I mean, I've noticed, and maybe I haven't been paying attention that well, long. Well, the, it's the, the rhetoric, rhetoric, the rhetoric around, around landlords. Landlords seems to be heating up. Yes, it seems to have been heated up in the last like years more than it had been in the past. Well, with it, with the ascendant uh, Democratic legislature, you know, you had a ton of politicians riling up against landlords. Right, you had you passed all the rent laws, and it was all about pandering to ideas that everyone was being exploited by landlords yeah and we had to pass this and this was a huge accomplishment and you know a lot of hasidic families uh have our have uh real estate holdings in african-american communities this is just in new york yeah, something a, that is you know dynamic that just uh came out that just came about uh part pro, partly because the hasidic community doesn't it doesn't really educate for the secular workforce. So this is a this is an industry in which you know you can you can operate in without formal education. Uh, and it's. I mean, certainly there was like incumbency to. Yeah, the and they, and they were they were one of the they, were, really they were one of the communities that stayed in the city. And stuck. They stuck it uh, out because they had their community there. Uh, why they really made it through the the sick when the white flight took place in the city they stuck it out and they gobbled up i guess like a bunch of essentially a bunch of real estate yeah as i mean yeah and so you know one of the things that happened i remember this happening too you know there's this guy i forget his his actual name is difficult but it's like lepresti or whatever on the upper west side he's like oh oh thomas lopez pierre yeah that guy he's like a perennial candidate perennial candidate and that he, has a, a jewish yeah. land like he's got i mean one of the creepiest his tagline was uh greedy jewish landlords right and you know what's funny about aoc's rise and like i noticed this because i've seen the guy and then somehow i got on his newsletter which is i mean obscene c- comedic in like a bizarre way but you know the, the famous AOC winning, you know, when AOC won and then and the New York One reporter or whatever was there. And, like, you see her, like, yelling, like, happily, you know? It's like, I can't, you know, you know I won. Lopresti's right behind her. Like, Thomas Lopez-Pierre. Yeah, yeah or Thomas Lopez-Pierre. He's right behind her. And I asked my journalism, local journalism friend, I'm like, 
that's Lopez Pierre. Like, what's the deal? He's like, oh, you know, he just happens to be like places or whatever. But yeah, like, well, he has like this fetish that some people have of getting being in the same place and getting pictures with politicians. Right, right. I mean, that's his whole thing. But I mean, he he introduced me to this narrative that I've seen. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, like this is the least coded, most anti-Semitic approach to discussing real estate in New York City, and yet, like. Since I noticed that and him and that whole thing, like you, you see this rhetoric around greedy landlords and it mixing with like anti-Semitic tropes, and it's a little you know. So you you think it's you think that that's a big piece of the, this. Topic. I think yes, it's definitely a big piece, uh, and it goes back to crown the riots in the early nineties. Well, the riots in the nineties um, though were also was it, I mean it was a. It was not as much a real estate thing, was it? As much as it was a cohabitation. Well, thing. I think there were like I think it, incidents. There, there, there were that, those tensions were still were already there. were simmering from real estate stuff. Yeah. but that was pre gentrification of the neighborhood, which I think has certainly accelerated. Right, like all of this, all of this angst. Um, meanwhile, I don't even. I mean, listen. There's a there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on with all this stuff. It's uh. It's bizarre. I mean, one of the things that you tweeted out, though, is that, you know, if we want to bring it back to, like, libertarian stuff, is, like, what is the, you know, today or yesterday, you know, when this attack happened, you kind of have two communities, one community, the Jewish community in New York City, where, you know, the news reports that I see is that, you know, one of the guys, like, fights this guy off of the table, right? And Yeah, like, they used uh, chairs and tables they threw at the attacker uh, to kind of force him out, right. and, and they, it was they were successful. Right. Meanwhile, we had a, a shooting in Texas where a guy comes in with a shotgun to like a big to like a church in Texas, and you know they he shoots two people within three seconds, and then he gets shot by a well trained armed volunteer, uh, you know, in the in the congregation, and you see the the difference. Uh, the difference is kind of stark, right? I mean, and and Texas had just passed all these laws, uh, legalizing guns in houses of worship and legalizing basically the development of these like training programs, uh, because they had that shooting in that tiny town two or three years ago. Was it two years ago? Yeah, they pa- uh, and they passed that law that specifically allowed uh, carries in churches, right? In churches to to make what happened possible, which is that they had armed guards i mean it's a crazy world where this is this is the issue i guess the new york guy he what he wasn't armed with a gun he had a machete right, right? but in the texas guy you know had his shotgun but you know i mean you look at people's right to self-defense particularly you know and i would say also there's a there's another narrative that's emerging i, I just saw an op-ed i think it was it was today or something where people are beginning to realize that the left is really talking about uh like, like dismantling police forces that that's a relatively popular like it's 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 rhetorically popular on the left right talking about like we don't need prisons we don't need cops like you know cops are racist prisons you know the mass industrial you know mass mass incarceration you know they have these like things that they say a lot but now i guess for some reason people are beginning to realize like okay well well be a lot take of that it, stuff more seriously yeah a lot of it is in reaction to bail reform recently right. mm-hmm. uh, although a lot of it is misunderstanding what the operation of bail reform yeah uh but but yes but, but i think that there's this concept now where okay like if we want to game game this out if the left really wants 
less cops. I mean, I want, I want less cops, and I think I, but I want that powered through less laws criminalizing the public, because you know Absolutely. I respect the fact, or like I certainly feel like, uh, in the you know. Well, we people should have are, we should have violence. cops. Yeah, I mean, we and should have the a state, few cops. The state has has a monopoly on the use of force, and thus to enforce said monopoly, you need to have people who like. Right, but they shouldn't right be looking for force. drugs. They should right. be out there I mean, preventing robberies. Right, of course. But in the left, it's a lot more. It's a lot less nuanced. Right on the left, it tends to be like the outcome has been what they consider racist, and thus abolish it. So they're just talking about abolishing a lot of things. They're also talking about abolishing billionaires. I mean, to be I, fair, I, I, there I is there is a strain of libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism that would kind of be on board with that. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of the reason why I don't think libertarianism is an attractive political philosophy is that it, it's it's when I say attractive, it's almost it's attractive because it's not designed to be attractive. It's designed to describe reality, kind of like economics is, uh, which is that yeah, if you have if like quote unquote the left gets a lot less cops, like guess what's gonna happen? Like you're gonna get uh you're gonna people are gonna self organize defense strategies and you're gonna find yourself in what anarcho capitalists have been describing as uh like a potential future. Where, you know, we're already seeing this emerge, I think, in places like Texas now, and I think we're gonna see it accelerate, both with the and this is the backlash to you know, this is the other side to the gun debate, which has been yeah, but the problem, the I mean, the problem with the left is that they they preach this anti incarceration, anti police or de policing or or whatever. I forget what they specifically call it. I mean, um, but the, yeah, the left is not a monolith, right? Right, and but uh, the they is the they is. But uh, but the the people advocating for these positions, um, they don't. They very much do have a selective idea of this, right? They. Like they wouldn't want to depolice rape prosecutions. Um, they wouldn't want to. They will go after you know gun control violators. Right. Well, that's the uh, thing, and, and that's the bizarre, the bizarre quality. And this is why it's it, it's not thought out like in a classical sense. And like you know, like we saw this with Tiffany Caban, who wanted to, who was all about using being much more judicious about using prosecutorial power but then she was also advocating for new uses of prosecutions that haven't been done which is like going after landlords criminally right and so this is the have your cake and eat it too concept right which tends not to work particularly when you're not the folks who either run institutions traditionally or have capital to organize alternative institutions um but yeah i mean if you if you game this out, there are many different ways to game it out, I guess. But if you game, I mean, if you game out these dynamics, like there is kind of a an 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 alignment between the anti-cop sentiment on the left and the pro militia, for lack of a better word, pro volunteer organized self defense groups on the right. Uh, that is like bizarre. But whenever I see alignments like that, I kind of, you know, they, 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 they to me, begin to feel like an inevitable, an, an inevitable discussion is going to have to emerge if not like a genuine political block emerges around reorganizing how force has been 
organized in the U.S. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think I think the practical reality in terms of what we're talking about on the ground in, in the city is and the state is that we're really seeing we're not really seeing this thought out uh, approach. Uh, the the people who are for decarceration are winning, but mostly because it's a game of chicken between progressive New York City politicians and say Andrew Cuomo as to like what can what are we going to pass what do we need to pass in order to satisfy our constituents that we're being radical and what can I what can they expect Cuomo to veto right. because they understand that this practically can't be implemented and Cuomo can't it, it's also a game of chicken for him as to whether or not he's actually going to accept the operation of these laws uh what can he politically allow because he doesn't want to be seen because he's going to be tarred with being oppositional to progressivism but you know you say that there there's some like success happening with the decarceration stuff but i mean there's there's mild success but from a struck i mean, I mean these the way that they had the, the way that they implemented cash bail is pretty radical yeah because in a lot of other states you have dangerousness considerations for uh, implementing bail, and here we don't have that. How, how do we not have that? We, New York never developed it because traditionally uh, dangerousness was not supposed to be a formal consideration for bail. Bail was only supposed to be, the only sp- a consideration for bail was supposed to be flight risk. And that, w- oh. and that goes back a long time because back in the day, you would assume that there would be a very quick trial. Hmm. So it was a way to... You know, you wouldn't have this person on the street much. But in, in, once we got into... This was pre-20th century. Yeah. And then once we got into these mass police models, uh, you had a lot of judges just issue bail because of dangerousness, but without the formal criterion. Mm-hmm. That it would be... And it was often through this kind of understanding that, well, the severity of the charge... If the more severe it is, the more likely the person's going to run away. Right. Uh, so we're going to have a higher bail. Um, but I think at this point, we have to have a real consideration of whether we're going to implement a dangerousness. Uh, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. Also, because, I mean, there's only one way this ends. Right? Like th- this phase of this conversation ends, right? Which is that someone who absolutely, anyone with their right mind and judgment would have kept in jail like is not in jail and then commits a crime and then we've already we've already had uh one or two cases of that but yeah the more they accumulate the more i mean and also like the more sensational it is yeah right i mean this is this is the willie horton thing right like this is like a case study in not in both political communication race baiting and bail But but I, we haven't shifted that con- style. Thing. We haven't shifted the thinking yet. It's it's blaming the reform instead of blaming because people are saying like well, and and the the retort to blaming the reform is well it doesn't make sense under the old model anyway. You're just you're just it really is about whether you're wealthy or not because it's just going to be a higher bail to make sure that you come back. But can't people just be remanded because of? Only, uh, only if I mean it's, out of danger. Like so, you'd think that that would so the exist? cat bail is only a consideration for various violent offenses, and the violent offenses are not a, as broad a universe as you'd think. Yeah. So, 
like assaults, even a string of assaults, as long as they're not a felony or something, is not going to lead to a remand. I mean, yeah, felony assault, I don't even know the difference between these things. This is why I'm happy to have Like that woman who slapped the three... the three uh, Hasidic women in Brooklyn. Right, that's not a felony. That's a misdemeanor assault. But she just got arrested for a second one and is still out on bail because it's not a threshold. Right. Listen, I mean, it's tough. I mean, what and what else is tough is that for me, just going back to like the way to decriminalize society and to like get the cops like under control, quote unquote, and whatnot, is to reform the legal code. Like to like get laws off the books so that like the police aren't involved in things like drug possession drug use which by the way i don't know if you saw beto came out and said that he thinks they should we should decriminalize all drugs no that's not beto it's Buttigieg. i mean not Buttigieg. you're right you know what i mean the, the new beto Buttigieg. Buttigieg. yeah 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 the which new I, beto is Budo. yeah what so i mean i thought <laughs> that was a you know that was nice to see and yang is at least making some overtures on uh sex work stuff even though it's uh. not the best but listen, I no, mean, no, I got to say the Nordic model and demand going after pimps and johns, whatever you call it, is worse than the status quo. Okay. I hear you. I mean, at least it's an issue. And basically, long story short, I'll tell you my thesis. My thesis is that the libertarian approach to solving these problems is a sensible one, which is like reform the laws so that there's less stuff for the police to do. So you have less police involvement in people's lives. All right. And the left, with the with the the problem with the left, maybe we should just do a podcast called The Problem with the Left. But the problem with the left approach, which is like this emotional, emotion-driven approach, is exactly what you're talking about like with Caban, where it's like, oh, yeah, the police shouldn't be involved in this part of that part of this part of that part, but they should definitely be involved in this other thing. It's like, well, right, do we are we trying to get the police and you know, these types of like punishment based approaches uh, and these like violence based approaches uh, out of circulation so that the people aren't having these experiences or are we just shifting who gets to decide how we use force in society? And it's not, we don't actually have a more structural <coughs> approach around like force is bad. It's more like force has been misused and we should use it in a different way. I like forces bad. Let's use as little of it as possible. But I don't hear that. Agreed. I don't hear that coming coming from the left, and I think that that's going to keep them unhinged in terms of like policy. Well, not just that. It's like when you propose a cons- when you propose a focus on the state, its monopoly of force, you get immediate pushback. Yeah. It, they they can't understand that you can't use the state in one way in one place right. and another way in another place. And I, you know, and I I. I really hope we get to we have the opportunity to bring that perspective more into their view because they're you know they're they're on the political ascent, but a lot of groups are often on political ascent and then. All right, shall we shift? Happens. Shall we shift to uh, the Cuomo NYC Libertarian Christmas Future? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my idea for Christmas Future uh, is that Andrew Cuomo our our. Uh, govern our governor or prince as Larry would call him prince or king oh no Larry calls him king and other people call him prince uh, because he's Mario Cuomo's son right uh, so anyway he's been leaking out kind of masterful as a marketing strategy but he's been leaking out 
uh, one proposal that he's going to put in his state of the state next year uh, each day until the state of the state. It's kind of like an advent calendar for political junkies uh, or in our case, uh, like a hate wall. Um, So uh, we can go through, you know, kind of bullet point one by one. Yeah. One by one. Each proposal. We're going to tell you how dumb it is. Uh, and then get maybe some, they're smart. I don't know why we have to get some commentary. You know, maybe maybe he's I think got, there's maybe at least he's, one that has some merit. Um, maybe he's nailed some nailed, nailed some <laughs> stuff. I'm gonna keep an open mind. And uh, so we can go through these. Uh, but I generally my thesis, my overriding thesis about these is that they're all window dressing. They specifically don't address any of the big points that Democrats want. You mean like, wait, like housing? What about like housing? Housing, health care, like, yeah, transit. There, none of, none of these are directly addressed in all of these things. Uh, but there are enough quantity things. There's just enough points that he can say he's being a good progressive. Okay. Uh, all right. So first proposal. He wants to prevent individuals who commit a serious crime in another state from owning a gun in New York. Right. Well, that's classic. Guns uh, and stuff. I mean, it's not like he likes guns. And he, I don't think, does he, is there any pro-gun, pro-Cuomo people? No, he said that uh, anyone who, he basically said that anyone who's conservative, which would, I guess would, for him, would it? Uh, would mean a, would a be gun. everyone who's yeah. for guns don't belong in this state. So don't belong in the state. He said. Yeah, yeah, he said that. I see why people don't like that type of talk. That's not a nice thing to say. But uh, then again, and right, then recently, should also just... he uh, he vetoed a bill, a like a bipartisan bill from the legislature that would allow federal judges to marry people, and he pure he said it. He said he vetoed it purely because he doesn't like the judges appointed by Trump. To marry people, yeah, like officiate weddings. Well, I do. I, I think it's it's worth noting also that New York State lost more people in out migration than any any other state in the country. Meanwhile, you have literally the world's most popular city, the globally most popular city is New York City, and 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 yet the New York State is the most fled state. Oh, it's so it's so absurdly mismanaged. Anyway, all right, so that's the first thing. Voting with their feet is what Which is, are doing. you know, purely symbolic. Because uh, the one thing we didn't mention is that it, this is just going to be an administrative nightmare. What's a serious crime? How do you prove that there's another crime out there? Is the FBI going to be compliant with you? Is New York is New, New York uh, is going to embed New York State Police are going to embed in, in 50 states and yeah, and, and, um, and track people's movements? How are they going to What is this even? I mean, there is a FBI database, but uh, you know, the state uh, annoyed the FBI by depriving ICE, or I guess they annoyed ICE by depriving them access of New York State databases. Great. So we're, we're all so, going to get to all that's the, we can, I'll give you our <laughs> database access to go after the immigrant, the, you know, illegal quote unquote immigrants. You give me access to the database to make sure that we don't have gun guns going to. Yeah. Who knows? Ugh. Gosh, you know, it sounds so reasonable, actually. <laughs> it sounds like such a thing that they want to do. Uh, all right, second proposal. Banning fentanyl analogs to further combat the opioid epidemic. Perfect, because that's definitely... If only we could just stop the analogs from emerging, then... What I like about analog bans is that 
analogs, are, like the definite, like it's already one meta. Like actually, it's two metas, right? Like people are doing fentanyl because they can't get, people are doing heroin because they can't get oxycontin, right? People are doing, <coughs> people get on oxy, they get on, they get on pharmaceutical grade opiates, and they can't get those, so they do heroin, and they can't get heroin, so they do fentanyl. They can't get fentanyl, or they they don't have. Basically, the fentanyl gets switching out for these analogs. Like how many, and then analog just means anything chemically similar. It's an infinite amount, infinite variety of analogs, if yeah. I recall, and how chemistry yeah. works. So it's like let's just ban. Like, all right, great idea. But I think the key, I think the key here is like banning the analogs is already illegal under federal law. Uh, there's an analog. There's a federal analog bill. So the, uh, I think the point is that this does not at all address the opioid epidemic. Well, I mean, also bans. I mean, <laughs> at this point, like how, how long is it going to take before you realize that it's not about banning shit? Yeah. Like how, like you're going to have to ban. Like they're banning. But it's so things. easy to ban things, I, and we'll see later on in the proposal. There's more bans. There's more bans. Of course, of course. All right, third proposal. These. This is one of the more benign ones. Uh, mandating automatic manual recounts in close elections. Fine. I mean, I have rants I want to go on about elections and how absolutely... Not now. I know, I'm not going to do it. All right, it sounds fine. <laughs> Although it might have, uh, you know, our guy in our DA... Right, the DA. Uh, Korchak in uh, Binghamton. Might have gotten recounted. He might, hey, he might have lost if there was a manual recount. Um, fourth Wait, proposal a DA a DA candidate a libertarian DA candidate won uh, he, was, he seemed like a republican yeah he's, yeah he's a republican he's a republican who got on via the libertarian line in some exclusively county. the libertarian line yeah in some county in upstate uh, Broome County Broome County with an E like, like Broome Street it's very close to here uh, fourth proposal closing the rape intoxication loophole oh, this is a fun one here which is uh you know, arguable whether you consider it a loophole. But wait, what can um, you explain? So the way that it, under current law, uh, there's certain conditions, like if you're in a coma or if you're mentally uh, challenged to a certain extent, there's an assumption that the law gives you that you're incapable of consenting to uh, sex. So, uh, you know, anyone who has sex with a, with a comatose person uh, the comatose person, you don't have to prove that they didn't consent. That makes sense. Uh, the mentally challenged person, you know, that's actually pretty arguable because I would say if you're too gung-ho in terms of enforcing that or interpreting it, uh, you're basically saying that mentally uh, challenged people are cannot have sex uh, or only with other mentally challenged people. And that's just, that's kind of sad. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, you just because you're mentally challenged doesn't mean you can't experience life uh you know the full experience of life um anyway the <laughs> I hear you. so they want to add uh alcohol or other substance intoxication to that list of presupposed uh inability to consent and in theory that you know that kind of makes sense um, well, if you're comatose, comatose through alcohol, like, right? So, like which if is you're a thing that happens if people get blackout drunk. Yeah, but the but the specific uh, the specific way that this is formed is that if a reasonable person would think that that person is would that that the victim is incapable or that the person is incapable of giving consent, then it's presumed rape or non consent, um, and that. Is, is 
kind of problematic uh, from a defendant due process standpoint, uh, because, you know, if both parties are intoxicated, then, you know, the intoxicated person would might not be able to tell what a reasonable person would be able to tell is the inability to give consent, particularly because they might be enabled or not quite able to police themselves. So, and, and not, this isn't, a, and just show it, this is not a case in which the, you know, it's always illegal if the intoxicated person did not give con consent. This is a question of whether the intoxicated person gave consent uh, and it, but they were too intoxicated that the, you can't really trust their consent. Well, and then so who would bring this to? Who would make this into an issue? Like the idea is that well, then they if you're come back if you're a say, victim, you can go even though you consented, you can yeah, you can you tell can the prosecutor the that you're like yes, not, I not I consent. I consent. I remember I consented, but I was too drunk. I didn't realize what I was doing, and he should have realized that I was incapable of doing it. Um, but frankly, that's. You know, for a rape, this is for rape, like full rape. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, 17, 14 years in prison. Uh, it's not, you know, we had a misunderstanding and we, you know, we're both drunk. Like maybe you can have uh, a separate offense that has a somewhat lesser kind sentence. Kind of like the, the manslaughter of rape. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I can't, It to me, it seems very troubling uh, that this situation would lead to a full-on rape conviction. And, and it, it comes dangerously close. Like, other states have this, so this is not quite uh, Yeah, have there been, have there, I mean, I guess, are there... Uh... It's like half the states have, half don't. Um, but it, it can be gone too far. You are kind of policing pretty much half the sex that goes on. I mean, if Especially you... in college campuses. I mean, if you go to bars... If you if if you're living a nightlife based, if you have a nightlife based sex life like this and there's is, really no way to protect yourself. There's if you're if you're you know most social situations occur around if most if you happen to be in a camp, campus or something where most social situations happen around alcohol, uh, there's really little you can do to make sure that you know you'd have to you'd have to watch how much your partner is imbibing. I mean, it's it's, it's really uh, it's it's very hard to navigate. This sounds this sounds like a difficult this is this is a potentially extremely abused on either side concept right? yeah it's uh i mean listen and, i mean this is hard stuff and it's and the thing is you know it, the thing is some people lose sight of some of their criminal defense instincts in this context and i and i think that people need to think twice at least it's um, um From a, from a libertarian perspective, you know, it's it's a tough one also because, like, people are making choices up until the point where, like, if you drug someone, and this has always been illegal, if you drug someone, then, like, you're liable for, right, like, you you go to jail. Like, that's that's absolutely all it has been. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we prize consent. Right. And so, and so, if people are walking themselves to... The point of like having poor judgment, then, like, because they like drank too much, and then have regret. I mean, it's a it's a it's a tough one because you can also see the other way. And you know, knowing, I mean, I hate to like put this in like a gendered you know male female right female victim male aggressor, you know, dudes, 
dudes are predatorial. <laughs> like it, it, it's like absolutely a thing, and you know, absolutely people can get just you know, co like like conned into just like drinking too much, and then like that, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's Bad just things gonna happen, and then you know we also have very hard to distinguish between that case. It's extremely and the hard. case in which it's and much that's why more I wonder. Ambiguous. I wonder in in the states where this has happened, like does this create like what are, what are, what have the outcomes been? Like has this created like a every month, every week, is there yeah. some like you know some court case around rape or we were out at the bar? It was like our third date or is it yeah. rape type of deal, or is it or is this something that's actually not not being abused, but one way or the other? I don't know. I mean, a lot of it is the ambiguities play themselves out in the extreme cases or the most ambiguous cases. And, but you cannot, but like then the ambiguities can work the other way too. You know, if it's a question of someone giving their consent, but they were obviously intoxicated, then, you know, you can circumstantially prove in a prosecution that, you know, through circ that through the circumstances, it was clear that, you know, yes, meant no. Um, but they're ways to massage these things. Um, anyway, people are, yeah, we got to get through these. Uh, fifth proposal banning the use of single use styrofoam food containers in New York State. Right. I think you brought up that this was a, uh, yeah. So this is a thing that the New York City did. Uh, and basically his idea is just to extend it to the state. Now I'm thinking about it. Have you seen a lot of styrofoam recently? Was the last styrofoam? I'm, I'm going to. A lot of a lot of the more upscale places already got rid of styrofoam. Right. Uh, you would see in like you know Grand Concourse in the Bronx. Sure. Like those are the people suffering the most out of the ban. Right. I'm wondering now. Uh, I'm trying to think who who had styrofoam in my neck. Oh, okay. I could I could go check in on the. Uh, I've seen it the most. I've seen it in the people eating in the subway. Yeah, you still see. Which styrofoam. is kind of a pet feet peeve, but like. Right. The kind of people eating in the subway is the kind of people who are most impacted by these bans. And the kind of people that Cuomo couldn't care least about. Right. Certainly. All right. Well, and also I think that, I mean, this is a, uh, what about cars? Is styrofoam, like, I feel like styrofoam might be better for, like, car trans, car-based. Yeah, I mean, when you're applying this to upstate, that's yeah. going to be the kind of thing. I was thinking, you know, Rochester garbage plates are always in styrofoam. Right, we had we had the uh, we had the garbage plate experience together. Which, by the way, to all of <laughs> well, well, okay, I keep kosher. I was there, and, and okay, was you watched you watched me engage. In, I think I <laughs> ate three garbage plates in like two days. It was I was a fan. I was a fan. If I ever if I ever run for state politics, I will absolutely photo op my photo op the heck out of uh, my garbage plate consumption. I can eat a garbage plate with the best of them. All right, sixth proposal, lowering prescription drug prices for all New Yorkers through comprehensive three-part plan, uh, which is kind of complicated and doesn't really do anything. Uh, it, it basically, it's a regulatory solution where the Department of Financial Services, and this will come in again later, but he basically wants them to do everything and they're going to end up doing nothing. So they, they wanna, he wants them to investigate skyrocketing prescription drug prices, like in theory, DFS could prevent the next Shkreli from raising prices. Where on is, a, is he in jail right now? I think so. Um, and the, he's like examining the feasibility of importing from Canada, which I'm pretty sure would require federal action. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's. I think we're moving. Tell me if I'm wrong, but there's a whole universe of Cuomo pretending like he's president. Yeah. Going on. Yeah. So it's not really doing anything. Uh, 
and he vetoed actually i think it was good but he really he recently vetoed uh proposed regulations and licensing of uh pharmacy benefit associations i think that's what they're called uh they're basically like insurance entities that uh bargain down uh pharmacies and in theory they get better prices for their own pharmacies like cvs would you know bargain down other independent pharmacies worse but this was a bill put forward entirely by independent pharmacies so it was, i was just i didn't quite understand it but i was entirely skeptical of purely and there was advertised as helping the competitors the, the independent so i i'm not a fan of those um so basically he's doing nothing and it's particularly hypocritical because uh we now have a six billion dollar or at least a four billion dollar budget shortfall because of cuomo and his manipulation of medicaid prices so he cannot be trusted with prices rant over gotcha <laughs> gotcha here's your rant the seventh proposal mine is advancing the strongest net neutrality protections in the united states oh my gosh you know and this is where i feel like a sucker because, you know, I work in IT and everyone in IT was freaking out about net neutrality. All these organizations I had respect for, still even some of my stuff I have respect for, like the internet is ending. Like if net neutrality happens, like it's over, it's over. And then if we end net neutrality and then how many email campaigns Twitter campaigns, all this stuff for net neutrality, net neutrality. It's been unneutral for like over a year now, if not more, right? I think it's yeah, been two years. Two years now. Literally nothing has changed. And like I accept that this could be a long term battle and like things are changing slowly or quietly. But no one I talk to on like in that universe of like progressive tech company non-profit blah 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 who are like all about net neutrality being the end no one wants to talk about it. they're not putting up any articles about it really like it's like it's a conversation that i i felt like a sucker because i went to my libertarian peers and i was like oh well net neutrality might be you know there's some common carrier stuff you know it might be a little bit more complicated than the and then it seems like i was wrong and the people who encouraged me to be wrong are are now silent and every now and then I put out a tweet when I remember the whole net neutrality thing, being like, can anyone, and I've got a lot of people on Twitter, not that I have the most popular Twitter account, but the Twitter account that I have, it's a lot of like progressive tech people. Like, can anyone tell me anything about net neutrality? Like what, like no one wants to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, basically if you do it secretly, if you throttle some people secretly, the FTC is going to be all over you. And if you do it out in the open, it's no one likes it. They'll attack you. So yeah, the market basically solved that. Um, Not only that, and then it doesn't even deal with cell phone data, which is like what's powering more and more people's online experiences all the time. It has nothing to say about that at all. Yeah. Well, and you right. see also your de- your cell phone data is just getting so good so fast. I mean, you look at how unless they stop five G because it's ruining your brain, right? Killing the birds, melting your brain. Uh, all right, eighth proposal. Protecting consumers from abusive debt collectors. So basically, Cuomo wants to license debt collectors through the Department of Financial Services. Uh, and who knows if like, have they have to do filings and stuff. Uh, who knows if they'll actually be effective? Because as I said earlier, he's expanding all these uh, roles of DFS 
they're just not going to enforce any of this. It's just going to be a paperwork requirement. It just raises and, costs. And whenever these types of things happen, like who often it's poor people who get look a lot. Like look, a lot, a lot of, of these debt collection firms are relatively unscrupulous. I like mean, it's it's an unscrupulous business. It's an yeah. It's you, you're, and you're, you're not going to put lipstick on a pig. Right. The, you're, the you're, business is problematic. Yeah. Uh, but you know, maybe address that by good economics. Right. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? How are you going to have debt if you can't collect it? Plus, a lot of it is that people are getting bad debt uh, because they're forced into it. Like they can't. You know, you you cut out. Uh, you cr- clamp down on uh, payday loans. And you get more onerous loophole payday loans, or you get car loans. Or they're talking about um, they're talking about limiting credit card rates to like fifteen percent or whatever. These they're they're talking about you know in the national progressive world they're talking about putting caps on these things that you know additional caps on the the caps that already exist around how this stuff works, and uh, ultimately it's all surface area stuff, right? Like people, you have a crappy economic system if everyone's going into debt yeah basically and then if people can't pay their debt like you're already in trouble like well just just for his practical advice if any if you ever have an outstanding debt that's gone to collections ask them to provide you the paperwork uh because half the time they don't have it yes lawyers ninth ninth proposal uh cracking down on retailers who sell illegal cigarettes uh, I mean, because they've been doing this. Eric Garner, he was literally cracked down on for selling illegal cigarettes. A, a pack of cigarettes in New York City costs thirteen dollars now, unless yeah. unless you, you buy get it from the bodega, which is seven dollars a pack. Uh, and at this point, you're seven, eight dollars, eight dollars a pack. All right, there's inflation. Uh, they got the folks that come to the bars with their plastic bags. I'll sell you like a ten dollar pack. Although um, with the Virginia cigarettes. Anyway, at this point, at this point, it's sixty percent, two thirds of cigarettes consumed in New York City are smuggled illegal cigarettes. Uh, none of this has worked. Cracking down further is not going to work. Cuomo is an old drug warrior who does not understand the cost of prohibition and the uselessness of it. Or they're just make getting paid on the other side somehow. Right? I mean, it's. At this point, you know, I mean, this is no this is where concept. these shows often go, where it's just like, man, economics. Wouldn't that be nice? Or like public policy. Anyway, tenth proposal: eliminating the pink tax. All right. So, the pink tax is basically this thing that was originally really gone into in the nineties, uh, when with all the gender warfare, culture war stuff, uh, where basically. People looked broadly at the consumer market and found that women's uh, products general and services generally cost more than their male equivalents. Uh, and the problem is that you, you broadly define equivalent uh, because generally a lot of these discrepancies can be attributed to just different products, different markets, different market preferences. You know, a lot of it is different marketing budgets. So for women, they market uh, products more. Which, you know, someone who's looking at it cynically would say that, oh, they're targeting women. And then someone who's looking at it more generously could be, well, maybe women uh, 
actually prefer being told more about their products maybe they're more discerning consumers and appreciate more information or could or that they want to be felt to like the product more who knows uh there's just it's just a dumb proposal the way that it's actually implemented is that uh they're going to be right oh my god they're going to have to certain firms are going to have to post price lists and if there's any uh if there's any uh, discriminatory pricing of substantially similar items, uh, that they're gonna they're gonna be fines. And the thing is that if these are incredibly low margin businesses and industries, so what's gonna what's gonna happen is that either there's gonna be mass non enforcement, or there will be enforcement, and then these companies are just not gonna sell in New York. So who gets screwed? The people who uh, are getting. Uh, targeted by these products i mean i don't know what to say except that how would you i i just i don't understand i don't understand how what new york state can do about how people price products that they make available i just don't even i don't how would you do that i don't know you go to procter and gamble and say like hi hey uh are they saying that only retail, like, is it, is it, they'd have to analyze them, would they be analyzing the markups on different things with the, which is only internal proprietary information of businesses? Would they be going, how? Well, it, they don't know. I think it would, be, they would see, you know, the women's razor costs 14 bucks and the man's razor costs 10 bucks. Yeah, but who knows where that comes from? Well, everyone, people generally know, they just don't care. Well, no, but I mean, like, is 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 Gillette selling? Maybe it's it's more expensive. Like, are the store? Is that happening at the store level, or is it happening? No, at no, no. The like these are yeah, these are all like corporate practices. These are corporate practices. So then, are they gonna gonna start suing like Colgate, Palmolive, for, for, price presume, presume for for that. having a business strategy? I don't know. I mean, how, <laughs> how difficult do they want? Like this is like Cuomo is president. Also, how difficult do they want to make business? And like just daily life, how is there any area that the government doesn't have, the state government doesn't have a, some prerogative? Well, Cuomo, Cuomo isn't thinking about it that way. He's thinking yeah, about it so. that it's an opportunity for him right. to talk about the pink tax. Well, he started the women's and equality to, party so to virtue clearly... signal on that point. Yeah, of course. I mean, we know this is this is a lot of this is jokes. Jokes. Speaking of virtue signaling, the eleventh proposal is legislation to prevent sexual predators from using... the. By the way, all of these proposal languages to his language, not mine. Uh, legislation to prevent sexual predators from using social media, dating apps, and video games to exploit children. And the way that they're doing it, or they wants to do it, is that sex offenders need to disclose all of their logins to the probation or parole or whatever, uh, all from social media, dating apps, and video games. And then the probation or parole or whatever will uh, disclose that information to the, prov- to the providers, to these networks. And the networks can then make their own policy or whatever. So basically, they're blacklisting sex offenders. Uh, and obviously, the platforms are just going to kick them off. That's the easiest thing to do. Or not. And they think that this is some kind of end run of the 
So the, I think the problem that they're avoiding of why to do it this way is because there was this recent Supreme Court case, which I think we discussed early on in the run of the podcast, because it, it was this year, um, where Virginia, I think it was Virginia or North Carolina, uh, they made it illegal to act for sex offenders to access certain social network social networks, uh, and the Supreme Court said that there's a no that there's First Amendment protections for access to the internet for sex offenders, uh, and social ne- and social networking. So that would obviously apply to this. But then basically, I think they're what they're trying to say is that there's you know there's going to be this intermediary step. Well, they don't have to kick them off. We're just providing them the information. Right. Everyone loves disclosure. Uh, and so it's, it's a way to have this constitutional hook, but I still think it's a violation of the first amendment. Seems first amendment violation. What, what, what services, who makes, who decides what services? No, it's all, it's basically like all social media, dating apps and video games. I guess probation would issue regs. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. Sounds like things that won't actually happen. It would also, like, I think he wants to create new criminal penalties about approaching people on these platforms. He wants to approaching kill online children. dating? Oh. I mean, listen, doesn't, this doesn't... But, like, they're, things, comi- they're hugely sounds over... Like huge amounts of lawsuits They're hugely over-criminalized anyway. Yeah, I mean, in general, true. Also, Not over-criminalized, but, like, they're hugely criminalized. Well, I mean, Regardless there, of what there, is, there, are, there are a lot of issues with how, like registries operate and how people get yeah. into registries and things like that of course there's also a lot of predators out there using new technologies to continue their predations but this to me sounds like it's it's not going to go anywhere yeah. not going to go anywhere it sounds fundamentally well it'll go somewhere because uh it's it'll be spoken because they're but they be don't court. have anyone really to speak for them until the court stage right the courts will come in yeah the second circuit on a um, all right, 12th proposal. Uh, making the New York Buy American Act permanent. Right. Because is... Cuomo wants to do his best to be Trump. Right. Trump, Trump's economic policies have been turning, his, his tariff <laughs> policies have turned out to be so good. I mean, I thought the Buy American thing ended in like the 90s when they realized that consumers have one primary interest in their lives, and that is their own. <laughs> They don't, this is not, this is, this, this doesn't seem real. So, but I guess one fun thing about this is that it would take construction costs, right? Cause this is for, uh, this is for like government buying stuff. It would make our already world, world-classly high construction costs and government administration costs, service delivery costs, and make them even higher, um, to benefit a, a specific set of special interest, special interest groups. So that sounds, that sounds pretty par for the course yeah i mean they they what what can you say i mean i don't know you look at look at like, you know i'm just on twitter too much looking at like fabulous mass transit systems and infrastructure systems all over the world and reading these price tags and seeing that everything in new york is costing 10 times as much uh you look at it's it's just uh it's atrocious can, can anything can, how is it how is there no cost control measures like in in all of this stuff, it's just it's just inf- it's just everything. Every almost every single one of these things just costs more money to create even more complicated systems. And haven't we realized at this point that complicated complicated systems benefit the wealthy and the and the special interest groups who know how to navigate them, and everyone else gets screwed by them. And yet we they 
it's still default. Default is complexify things, make them more obscure, like how to navigate them to symbolically solve a problem that we actually don't want to have to manage, deal with the root cause of yeah. over and over and over again. Uh, and, uh, you know, this yeah, is, I really this don't is what know we keep what, getting. I don't know who this, who is really pulling for this except for unions. It's uh, got to be a union thing. And also. it's national this is Trump. It's not local This unions. is Trump. This is Trump stuff, right? Like yeah. this is this is Cuomo being like, I'm a national figure making national decisions too. I guess I don't know. I mean, I've I've never met the guy. Ugh, I don't want to meet him. All right, thirteenth proposal. Oh my gosh, how many are there? There are sixteen currently. Sixteen. Thank you for staying with us this 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 long. Where are we at now? Oh my gosh, we started going through all of like Cuomo's proposals. We're at like over, like a. I'm sorry. Hour twenty. No, it's fine. Let's, all right. Well, okay. Well, this is, this we'll make it to the hour and a half. No, this is the marathon session. All right. I think we should right. do it. It's the last Third, of the year. Thirteenth proposal: developing an innovative strategy to build high-speed rail in New York, specifically from the city to Albany and Albany to Buffalo. I just want to get to Montreal. If this were like New York to Montreal, three hours, count me in. I'd pay any price. Well, I had uh, the, I had a Twitter conversation where I was making fun of that. What, New York, Montreal? Yeah. Because if you build that before you build Northeast Corridor, like you're yeah, just it's ridiculous. Corridor. No, it's high speed terrible. rail. I mean, it's high speed. He wants high speed rail. No, it's high speed. Northeast Corridor is the Excella, which is as high speed as we get in this country. Montreal's lovely. Not right now, but it's a fantastic <coughs> place. I anyway, spend a lot of time up there none of this I... is innovative. Uh, it's been trotted out every decade, famously by his father, Mario mm. Cuomo, and it was completely abandoned for good reason, because it's completely financially infeasible. The reason why uh, he wants it to Albany is because he is a politician who's obsessed with traveling between New York City and Albany. No one else cares. Only the, the politicians No care. one cares about that. The thing is, and you know, one of the things that you know, I, I was... Oh, tr- and, sorry, just to finish. And, and yeah. then uh, between Albany and Buffalo... It's excruciatingly slow, but that has nothing to do with the quality of rail. It is entirely to do with the fact that the rail is owned by CSX. Right, it's a freight. And they go like 20 miles per hour. Right, it's a freight thing. Like they have... have By scheduled times, driving takes an hour less than the train. Listen, I was in China. I've been to Europe. You go on the rail there and it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, It's awesome. But know. it is. It's nice. Oh my gosh. It's definitely nice. Especially China. Yeah, but China, but China but does like really bad investment and a lot of it's underutilized. Yeah, the, I took the rail lines that were heavily utilized. But there's a big difference between China and New York State. There's a big difference between America and Europe and America and China. And that is America is obscenely large. To get from New York to Buffalo... If you did that trip in the eastern half of China, or you did that trip in Western Europe, like you are going to, within that distance of, what is it, 600 miles or something, you are going to have many times more people. Many, many times more people. Yeah, and, and we that, already were talking about that near, I mean, that Cuomo's doing his best to depopulate the state. Right, so. he's doing his, and he's doing his best <laughs> to depopulate the state, the state. So who's this going to serve? Going between Albany, like 200,000, how many people are in Albany? It's, it's a railroad 000? built for him to make Literally, his appearances throughout it's, the it's state. It's a joke. 
It's a joke. I love rail. I think rail's good. I'm I'm big into. I'm, Although I'm, he loves driving, I'm so. pro investment in rail. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying around the corridor, like the East Coast corridor, like Excella. Like I don't even I don't take Excella. Like I take the bus. It takes almost you know the, the price versus cost is like. Yeah, I took the Excella once, uh, and it was because uh, the client was paying for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. When other people pay, I'll take the Excella. Um. All right. I'd love. I would. I would love to see like proper rail in this country, but you know, it needs to be in. Well, a the lot. problem is that all the capital is being wasted on these ridiculously stupid projects. I mean, if they can't figure. I mean, out... I don't mean capital in terms of literal capital, no, although that mean. too. But I mean, like political capital. Well, and you know, if you look at California, I mean, L.A. to 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 the Bay is definitely similar distance, a little less, I think, than Buffalo to. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's about five hundred. It's 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 less distance for sure. But you're talking about two ten plus million person metro regions connecting two ten plus million person metro regions versus connecting New York City to Buffalo's not even. It's not. It's not a million people. Is there a million people in Buffalo? No, I don't think so. No. There's not a million people in Albany. No, not even close. <laughs> like these people need to build downtowns if they if they want to if they want to build. Proper density in downtowns, then I'm, I'm like I'm all for it. They want to take some New York, New York renters, put them up there, put them on high speed rail. I would love to see what I would love to see on this proposal would be, uh, some type, some way to make rail tickets cheaper between New York City and like Poughkeepsie or New York City and Albany, just like up that corridor, up the Hudson River Valley, because I think we could be packing a lot more people into there in a much in a lovely regional, in a lovely regional setting. Well, what they should do is. Uh, create kind of a unified rail authority and then set, then give all the publicly owned land within the vicinity of that rail to the railroad authority and then they would have develop and then they would have like preempted developing rights and then they would be able to develop both their infrastructure and fund the infrastructure off the real estate and develop the real estate to then use the infrastructure which is exactly what Japan does yeah and then we could have and, that and Japan, be a, we could have, have that be that a private and, and, authority. right? And then Japan has a private like they're private companies operating yeah. these things under the public authority, right? Yeah, it's a pretty. I mean, oh, <coughs> the things that could happen if we just followed, looked at best practices, documented best practices, talked about best practices, and then implemented best practices. All there's right. so many world. There's so many well operating places. All in right. The world. Well, let's just get through these uh, proposals. All right. Uh, <laughs> this, is the, this is the Titanic episode of... Uh, of All right, 14th proposal. Office. Increasing transparency in healthcare costs. I'm for transparent it's, healthcare it's, costs. Yeah, I mean, it's fine, but it, it it's not revolutionary at all, and it hasn't worked, and he's done it prior. Like two years ago, I think he had a thing where he actually created a price exchange and people posted their prices. Uh, and the it doesn't work uh, that much until you address the underlying incentives. So as long as people, as long as most people have their costs reimbursed through their insurance or through the government, uh, things don't really change. Uh, All right. 15th proposal. Legislation banning flavored nicotine vaping products and vaping ads aimed at youth. We've gone over this. I mean, I I don't know how much more I can talk about vaping. Yeah. Uh, Vaping is better than smoking cigarettes, but not as good as breathing. But it's much better than smoking cigarettes. It's a lot better than smoking cigarettes. But not as good as breathing. Unless you're vaping in a beautiful 
wooded area and you're breathing probably in like the Union Square subway station. What's worse, vaping a little bit in the country with clean air, unfracked, versus breathing Union Square subway air? I'd like uh, to see some studies on that. I believe they've equated living in the city with being with living with like a smoker, but secondhand smoking impacts are, are uh, a little a little less, less maybe. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Long story short. All right. Let's folks, well folks let's should be able to vape, vape if they yeah. want to vape. vape. Kids don't vape. Vape on, and if you if you Kids are a vapor vape. and you believe strongly in vaping and aren't yet that into libertarianism know that you have a friend and or help a you. lot of friends in libertarian not all, we don't all vape a lot of us don't vape i don't vape but i'll fight for your right to vape i rarely vape very rarely i have never vaped yeah i've done hookah and stuff but not vape. Ooh. uh hookah, all right hookah, hookah is pretty similar hookah is way worse for you De- oh, definitely worse for you but i think if if, if you t- if you like hookah i don't like hookah Okay. Well, All right. <laughs> 16th proposal, legalizing gestational surrogacy. All right, so this is the best one. No, finally uh, we got to like a libertarian-ish <laughs> proposal out of all these. Out of 16, we got one, right? Yeah. I mean, and the thing about this is that it's only because New York is the worst. Uh, I love so, how actually after all of this, the only, out of 16, this is the only one with legalization in it? Is yeah. there any other legalization? No, he vetoed legalizing e-bikes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We didn't talk about that. I, <laughs> it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. And seemingly because he wants a mandatory helmet law. I, it's, it's difficult. And then, like, where are the climate change people on this one? Why aren't they... I mean, no, none of these groups have any... Well, all right. Let's, well, let's finish on Do this. Do they care? Like, I mean, because e-bikes are such a great climate friendly solution to transit and like should be like something that we're yeah that but they're more the darling but they're of, more afraid of being i know sideswiped by a delivery guy I know. and right. these delivery individuals mostly men they do drive recklessly on the sub on, on, on the sidewalk sometimes i've seen it but guess what e-bikes are illegal right now and well you know still... who's killing more people like a cars. car, like cars, like every day, cars are killing more people than and injuring more people than e bikes will in a year. Yeah, I mean, I think a, there's one e bike pedestrian impact that led to a death. Yeah. This and then there's a ton, like two hundred or something, car of car deaths. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so maybe it's every two days. Uh, car kills person. So cars hurt yeah, I mean, it used than, to be far worse. Yeah. So the uh, anyway, the proposal is gestational surrogacy. So what does this mean? Uh, previously, New York State has, or not previously, currently, New York State does not allow paid surrogacy. So you can't pay someone to, to have your baby. To have your baby. To actually in, have. Your and baby. the contract to gestate your baby. If you have a contract with them, they're not. It's not enforceable. Which means that they can keep the baby. In theory, if you keep the baby, they're still on the hook. The the surrogate is still on the hook for child support. Uh, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Go, a lot of things can go wrong. A right? lot of problems. So people are just doing in California because in Cali, in Cali, if I recall, yeah, they go California. out of state to do it, yeah. and it's a big and it's particularly absurd and offensive in New York because we have one of the 
largest and most affluent and politically activist gay community, LGBTQ communities in the country. And they heavily rely on surrogacy, uh, particularly of the homosexual community uh, or the male homosexual community. I would say also wouldn't um, like kind of uh, like like kind of like professional women. Yeah, like older women too. It's yeah, like, and then like a, yeah, and another, people probably in like but also huge people, demographic in in the city. Right, that people is like are a delaying Democrat support group. Yeah, people are delaying having children. Right, they freeze their eggs, and then the older you get, the more likely you you are to experience fertility issues. And yeah, if you didn't freeze your eggs and you needed to implant an egg into or 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 whatever, there's a you, lot a lot of contingencies. You need to implant an egg into someone else to carry a term. Regardless, there are a lot of things. We should be uh, on top of this. It's particularly an LGBTQ issue, which is why Cuomo is going after it because he can claim a victory for LGBTQ people. Uh, it only the, took what? But it's how many years has he been? But the status quo is is terrible and has always been terrible, and there's no reason why he couldn't have done this eight years ago. Uh, the and no other state really has this level of illegality. Europe has it, but because they're a holes um, and they don't respect surrogates abilities to actually be paid or do this willingly or consensually but the conditions for surrogacy are pretty bad so uh they're cuomo's mandating that the surrogate has they're going to regulate what you can have in the contract but also the parents need to pay the surrogate uh full health care not just pregnancy related health care and uh their own lawyer so in theory this could run up costs to make this prohibitively expensive for middle class right well that's always been lower people that's that's democrat 101 is it's just gonna making things it's gonna make it much harder for the rich can access it certain couples classic couples who could need the who use the money to raise this kid Oh, thinking about the children. Look at you, Ellie. You're becoming a real politician over here. <laughs> but what? Think about the kids, folks. Think about the kids. Uh, but everyone has this idea that it's going to be these affluent people, and I don't understand why the LGBTQ community is abiding by these stereotypes. Everyone makes com- politics is about compromise. I guess. <laughs> so they tell me. Yeah, it's. Uh, at least it's get. This sounds like a marginal improvement. It is. Of, of 16 is. issues, we found one that that might actually yeah. improve things a little bit. And, you know, our, our just our luck with Cuomo, this will be the one thing that doesn't get passed. Right. Yeah. Well, I think with <laughs> Cuomo, someone was asking, you know, they are like, why why doesn't, what about the e-bikes, you know, asking me about it. And, and my, my sense in politics in general, the general thing in politics, you tell me if I'm wrong, is that if you see, if you're... The executive, congressperson, you know, or legislator. But if you're, the, particularly if you're the executive, you see a thing that you can do, a problem you can solve. You are going to wait until the people who want you to solve it, basically, pay you off with money or power before you solve it. You're not gonna. No one gets freebies out here. You literally have to organize to get obvious things done because every one of those transactions have a cost. And, like, you got to get paid. Well, I mean, I think there are different things. I think there's also, like, you might be proactive in order to save face, like Cuomo trying to appear progressive. You might be proactive to... uh, You might, but the core... To signal to certain constituencies that you're their guy. The core Like, I think Cuomo is signaling to 
the Upper West Siders who hate immigrants that he's their guy because uh, he's not going to allow e-bikes. The core, when... the core incentive, though, I think, is that your job as a politician is to wait is to wait for people to pay you to do things. No, I, I, I don't think so. I think there's. I think so. There's, if you're, there's, if you're powerful, very obvious. That's what powerful politicians yeah, but get there's, to do. There's very obvious like, incentives, and I definitely agree with you. I'm a big fan of public choice theory that politicians are mostly about responding to incentives in a very particular way. Yeah, I forgot about public choice theory. That's what public choice theory is. And it was, isn't it? Yeah. I always think I come up with these great theories, you know what I mean? I'm going <laughs> to write them up into blog posts and then. They exist all the time. Well, you should maybe read some Buchanan. Right, I remember. I remember now Buchanan, yeah. Uh, Fun times. Anyway. Yay. We finished the proposals. We did it. It only took us two hours or something. Uh, Um, Which leads us into... And we finished on the best one, although we we managed to find faults in it as good libertarians. Right. Uh, And uh, we uh, wish you a very happy... How How about... Hold on, hold on. 2020 predictions mm. come on it's a te- i mean listen i don't want to do it either but i feel like we owe it to anyone who's been on this long i was i'll tell you this i was like well donovan richards is gonna win the queen's burr presidency okay, right because he's just got anointed yeah i saw that no one cares <laughs> no one cares i mean I, I was i was thinking the top ones oh in president President stuff or like real big New York State stuff. Not that we, there's not really. Uh, I predict that uh, Cuomo will lose the petitioning challenge, but it will take a bit. Oh, you you think he's going to lose this commission's thing? Yeah. Oh, really? But I I predict that he's first going to lose on the Working Families Conservative Party cases. And that's going to get appealed, and then the federal court is kind of like going to. So you think you think the LP is going to survive to twenty twenty one? I think it's going to it's going to at least survive twenty twenty, and then the legislature is going to come together and make a new bill, and they will uh hi they will make higher voter and petitioning thresholds, but not as bad ones. Okay, like a hundred k. Yeah, something like that. 100K is a simple number. It's still 80K. a lot. It should be, yeah, it should be maybe 80K and like 18,000 signatures. Okay. And, and and every four years. This yeah, whole presidential I think they're going to go back They to can't do the presidential thing because that, that's really just... I don't know, maybe... too much for working families. I think the legislature might give in on that one. Oh, you think, you think so? Because they need to give Cuomo something. Interesting. All right, nice, nice. Thank you for that. All right, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't really have any strong predictions here. I thought Warren was going to survive a little bit longer than she did. I think she's... I think Who she, do you think I is going to be the Democratic the uh, nominee? Um, I mean, it's a... It's probably going to be... I think I think Biden's going to stick it out. I mean, yeah, it seems like it's going to be Biden sticking it out or Bernie. It's going to be Bernie or Biden. I, I don't... I see more upside to... I, mean, I see more potential for growth for Biden than for Bernie. Like, Bernie's got a lot of people, but he's not going to get any more people. I hear you. We're going to see. And Amash, no one knows. He's really kept it mysterious. It looks like he's putting, he's mounting a proper congressional race. Yes. And, or. But what? it's hard to tell because the LP, you can like throw your hat in at the last second. Right. And so when is it? Do you know when it is? Is it 
May? Yeah, May twenty-eighth. Uh, is is when they'd have to throw the hat in. The Ellen's the national convention. Oh, the yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little bit before then, though. But it would have to be like a week or two before. Yeah, I mean, I think you can do it on the floor, but can you? That'd be fun. But practically, you, you should. You're you're going to do it right? a few days before. I don't know. All right, that's it for us. That's our cue. That the camera. The camera right. shut down, which means that we need to. We stop just lost the, the video feed, the, so the greatest. All podcast. you guys are watching a title card. Right. The greatest podcast in our career, I think. This, one. <laughs> this is the real marathon. So, All right. thanks I'll, for. Uh, we'll see you in 2020. Hopefully, we'll see better things. Insert other vision pun. Things have been great. I think things have been perfect. They're only going to get better from here, but they've been fantastic and only getting better. Great. Bye. Ciao. New Year's. <laughs>